Hello, and welcome to the Christ Church Cathedral Podcast. This is the sermon from our past Sunday, recorded live from the cathedral. We hope these words will really speak to your heart and mind. I speak to you in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So we're still in the season of firsts, a season of revelations or epiphany. And last week, we read of Jesus' first miracle, the transformation of water into wine at a wedding in Cana. And now this week, we have a similarly carefully chosen event that Luke tells us is one of Jesus' first actions in announcing his identity as the Messiah. He goes home to preach in the local synagogue. Now, imagine in our context, this would be his home parish. But he doesn't just give the people there a good word. He stands up in the midst of them and reads Isaiah, all about the suffering servant. And then he says, he's that guy, proclaims his identity as the one foretold by scripture. Now, this is understandably challenging for them. He doesn't float a balloon with a few individuals. Instead, he addresses, well, I say address, but it must have felt almost like a, a confrontation, really. He addresses the assembled crowd of neighbors and synagogue ladies and relatives and lifelong friends and just simply tells the truth, God's truth, of who he is. He says, God's spirit is on me. He's chosen me, yes, Joseph and Mary's boy, to preach the message of good news to the poor. He sent me to announce pardon to prisoners and, and recovery of sight to the blind. He sent me to set the burdened and the battered free, to announce this is God's year to act. And then he rolls up the scroll, hands it back to the assistant and sits down, and every eye in the place was on him intent. Then he starts in, you've just heard scripture make history. It came true just now in this place. Well, you can imagine the reaction. Just who, do this, who does this guy think he is is probably among the reactions. You see, what were originally the words of the prophets, uh, prophet Isaiah announcing Israel's liberation from exile in Babylon in the, in the late sixth century in Jesus' mouth become a description of his own role and calling, and by extension, a kind of mission statement for the church. Now that's interesting, because mission statements say not only who we are, but what we're going to do. Jesus uses the words of Isaiah that way. Now we live in a consumer and corporate culture that uses these kind of statements a lot. For instance, if you buy a product from Apple, you're buying it from a company that declares its goal to, bring, to be to bring the very best of computing and support to our customers. There's clarity about that statement, right? And how many of us buy those products because of it? Our own Niagara uh, diocesan mission statement goes like this. Ignited by the irresistible love of Jesus and renewed by the Holy Spirit, we partner with God to deepen faith, share stories, 
and care for God's world. Again, pretty clear. And Jesus' mission statement has the kind of clarity and uh, the same kind of transparent intent about it. What's more, the words of Jesus are not just important for what they say, but they're, they're important also because of their source. The origin of those words is important because Jesus isn't just making this stuff up. He situates his ministry in the ongoing promise and commitment of God to the lowliest of God's servants, to those who fear God from generation to generation, to the hungry, to God's people Israel, and to Abraham and Sarah. The promise and the prophecy of Isaiah provides the, the important context that Jesus will embody in the Gospel of Luke. And it's interesting that he proclaims this mission statement in community, a community that, that would have known those words, would have lent into the expectation of the fulfillment of those words. And it just shows us, then as now, that scripture is a living thing to be read in community and to be made sense of in community, community that is itself living and dynamic, community like the one that's gathered on this live stream this morning. Proclaiming the word of the Lord in community and listening and finding out the sense of it, letting it bind us in community is, well, it's essential to the actual outworking of God's mission itself. You see, the reading and the interpretation of God's word is a communal act. It's never an individualistic one only. To understand scripture correctly, we, all of us, need the help of our community. Just like in the case of Ezra, in our reading from the prophet Nehemiah, in Jesus' case, he used ancient and familiar words, but he interpreted the law's meaning to be something entirely new. In Ezra's case, his reading left his people weeping. The beauty of God's word was poured out on people who were hungering and thirsting for it, a people facing hard times who needed the guidance of God's word to get through. Well, we know what that's like, don't we? Now Jesus' reading of the scripture, his interpretation of the role of the suffering servant that the prophet Isaiah described was perhaps a little different, more challenging. And to some in the home crowd, maybe even a bit offensive. His hometown crowd didn't react with tears so much as uh, some aggression. But Jesus was steadfast and courageous about his interpretation, moving his community along. And in Isaiah, we find that servant witnessing and blessing and suffering. Isaiah speaks of the coming servant as someone called and elected by God to suffer in the service of God's mission of love. Given Jesus' ministry, it's a pretty accurate description of the life he comes to lead and, and the death he had to undergo for the sake of our salvation. And if Jesus identified himself as the suffering servant to his people, today we understand the body of Christ, the church, the same church onto which the Holy Spirit was poured out to now be the suffering servant working out God's mission. We're the ones called to witness and in turn pour out the blessings of God to a broken world and, if necessary, to suffer in that role. 
Isaiah tells us that the Spirit of God is upon the servant not only to enable the servant to announce the good news, but to fulfill the content of the message itself. God has anointed him and set him apart to preach and to proclaim. His service to God is to carry a message to humanity. The servant is supposed to work through words and works of mercy and justice, not through war or domination or violence, and to preach good news, to show us what God's love looks and feels like. So here we are today. That mission of love has been handed on to us. We are God's servants in Christ with a message to proclaim, called to be courageous and steadfast. I'm reminded in this week of prayer for Christian unity that St. Paul's image of the body of Christ tells us that we all approach this mission from different perspectives, each with equal value, each with importance. We're used to that image, the body of Christ, but we shouldn't be complacent about it. It's certainly not the story that this world tells, that's for sure. It's really different from the story that this world tells. This world tells us that our value is based on our net worth. In fact, that's an old story. The image of the body was in use even before Paul, but as a useful political metaphor. Apparently, the great general and statesman Marcus Agrippa had already made a comparison between the state and the body in Roman literature, even before Jesus' birth. And the Greek philosopher Plutarch had used the body imagery to speak to the lower levels of society to remind them of their place as lesser members of the political body. And in each of these cases, the metaphor of the body, the superiority of some parts over others, was used to keep people down to take away importance and, and power and to concentrate it in a very few hands. But Paul, well, Paul employs a biblical and a deeply loving reversal when using this image. He uses the same imagery to, to remind those who might consider themselves at the top of the pyramid that the lesser members of the body have a unique and important place as well and should be equally valued for their place within the body. He evens out the playing field. He flattens that worldly pyramid so that it is flat as a pancake. And by reversing the use of the image, Paul presents an alternative image of Christian community life, a radically appealing vision of Christian life. At the heart of Paul's message is the fact that everyone who is in our communities is connected to one another and that what each one of us has to offer matters. And while we, being only human after all, might value certain gifts more highly than others, God does not. Paul's concerned to emphasize that the gifts that we have are not our own, they're God-given. And in that case, we don't get to boast about them. They're present in us in order that we have the gifts to bless and to build the church universal. When it comes down to a church is a community that we live in using our gifts for the building up of the whole. And whatever gift it is that we offer or we think another person in the congregation may or may not offer, 
all of the members of the body are to be held in equal respect and esteem. This is so radical. If I think about it, it's such a countercultural challenge to us. This uh, profound truth convicts us again and again that there should be no, no isms among us, no racism, no sexism, no ableism, you name it. In the body of Christ, we don't get to exalt one over the other or subjugate one under the other. Still thinking about our individual Western modern world, it has to be said that we've been encouraged to see our lives and the gifts that we've been given as things that we reserve for ourselves and for our own benefit. But in the Christian life, as the body of Christ sent to live as an example to the world, that just is not so. This kind of individualism stands in opposition to God's love and being the body together. It stands in the way of our mission statement. It stands in the way of a corporate reading and understanding of our scriptures that says that we, as the body of Christ, the hands and feet of Christ, are now called to witness and pour out the blessings of God to a broken world and to suffer in that role if necessary. And our collective ministries of forgiveness, of evangelism, of presence, of utility, of accountability, of confession, of justice, of prayer, etc., are all needed. Think of your own ministry in our diocese, because every single one of us has one. Take a look at the inventory of gifts in ministries that Paul outlines in our reading this morning, and then ask ourselves, how do we minister in our wider communities? And if we don't currently, how might we minister and join God's mission of love? What is it that we bring? What is it that our siblings in Christ bring from their distinctive perspectives? Because it is as the body of Christ that we're all together, the full picture, where none of us have the full package on our own. We all strive to fulfill the ministry, the mission of Christ, the same mission Jesus proclaimed. Because God has anointed us to bring good news to the poor. God has sent us to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Each one of us. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a production of Christ Church Cathedral. Audio editing and original theme by Eduardo Farias. We hope you join us again soon. Have a blessed day.